Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are going to continue in our six-week series. This is week two. And our series is on discipleship. It's called Follow Me, which is the invitation that Jesus gives to the disciples when inviting them to come into this kind of life. This is so important because our work here as the church is to be disciples. Yes, we gather. Yes, we worship. Yes, we praise. Yes, we engage in mission projects. Yes, we do social gatherings and we have fun together and we we long for the days we get to do that again we study scripture we have prayer we're involved in the community we're we come here and gather and then we go and enter into the lives that we live at our work with our families but it's all about discipleship we come together to be disciples to be students of our lord of our savior of our teacher, of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. This life of discipleship is ongoing. Last week, we started at the beginning of this life, which is in baptism. Baptism is when we say yes to this life and yes to the work that God is going to bring in and through us by the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And so we say yes, and the Holy Spirit then works in our lives and we work in a partnership and we become part of the church body because it's all about the church body. The church is the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit is at work among all of us and we come together with all of our differences and all of our diversity and all of our different gifts and graces, our different perspectives and through that we are the one body through which the Spirit then works and through us blesses us and our community. And so we, we come together as Sellersburg United Methodist Church to experience the blessing of God in and among us, but also that through us the whole community is blessed, that we are disciples that make disciples for the transformation of the world according to God's will and way. And so we enter into this. Some of us have been disciples a long time, many, many, many years, and we still have a lot to learn. We have a lot to teach. We have a lot to learn. There are some who are brand new into discipleship. They've just recently been baptized. And while they haven't been in this for years and years and years, they still have a lot to teach us, as well as a lot to learn. We come in and suddenly we are more together. Baptism begins this story. But now in week two, we're going to focus on what God is going to do and bring through us. And before we can really identify that, we've got to understand who we are as disciples and what we're about. And so we're going to come to two stories in the scripture that are going to help us see some different perspectives. But before we do that, before we dive into those stories, I want to try to to relate this a little bit. Because, and this is kind of a fun way to relate it, right? If you are a football fan, you might have heard of the Cleveland Browns. And if you're not a football fan, maybe you've heard of the Chicago Cubs. Now, the running joke of these teams for a long time is that 
Every year is their year, but then inevitably they fall flat and they disappoint and it's not their year and to the point where it becomes kind of a joke. So when someone comes along and says, yeah, this is their year, this is their year, there are the, the true diehard faithful fans who believe and then there are everyone else who's like, yeah, we've heard that story before. But then funny things happen. A few years ago, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. The first time in, in, in almost 100 years, maybe more than 100 years, I can't even quite remember. I was in Chicago when they won, and I'm not a Chicago Cubs diehard fan by any means, but I thoroughly enjoyed watching the fans realize that the impossible had happened. And all those that doubted for years and years got to witness something they thought they'd never get to see, something many people have never gotten to see. Same thing with the Cleveland Browns. They play, they play this afternoon, that's why I bring them up. They play arguably the best team in the league. Now Cleveland, every year, it's gonna be their year. It's gonna be their year. And even this year, we heard that this is our year. You're gonna watch us. And the, the faithful, yes, they wanna believe and maybe they do and the rest of us are like, sure. Even to the point where a player on an opposing team who played them last weekend leading up to the game had said things Basically, you know, they're the same old Browns. Nothing's changed here. We're not worried about it. We've seen this kind of excitement and hope before, but we know where it leads. Uh, we're not worried about this team. And then the Browns beat the Steelers, which was something no one saw coming, except for those Browns who claimed they did. Sure they did. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Steelers fans. I know that one hurt. Browns fans, I know now there's a hope and excitement you haven't felt in decades because they've made it this far in a long time. So what will they do? Will they win? Well, it depends on who you ask. And even the ones who say they will, I wonder, do they believe? Because how many times do you hear the same story before you start doubting? And that's kind of where we're at as a, as a society right now. We've heard similar stories, and sometimes they lose their luster. This time, this season we're in right now together, it's heavy. And it's hard to believe the good news and the hope. Or we can hear it and want to believe it, but it seems that it doesn't relieve the heaviness. This, this COVID, I remember the first several weeks, every week on here, I'd say, Hey, we're one week closer. One week closer to the end of this. Let's celebrate that. In my head thinking, you know, a couple more months maybe. By the end of the summer, this will be gone. And then that time came and went. And here we are a full year later. And if I continue to tell you, hey, we're one week closer. Let's celebrate that. I don't know that you'd be as excited as you were. In fact, it would probably seem forced that I'm trying to celebrate, right? It would seem like I'm not being genuine. You know, we stand today waiting for tomorrow, which is the birthday of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we celebrate the life of a person who was the head of an incredible movement 70 years ago, 60 years ago. And they did great things. They truly did. And a lot of blood was spilled and lives lost fighting for justice in an unjust society, in our society. And we celebrate his birthday every year to remember, to celebrate what, what came of all the sacrifice made, of the steps that were achieved 
the cost that it, that it, that it took. We have reverence and we have hope. But if I just told that story and ignored all the injustice and oppression that is still alive and well today, the kind of, the kind of oppression that saw people wearing terribly racist and hateful and oppressive shirts in our nation's capital as they claimed to be a part of our church, be a part of our nation. We see that it's good to celebrate what, what we celebrate tomorrow on Dr. King's birthday. But if we just hung our hats on that and didn't address and understand and acknowledge and confront what we're dealing with today, it would feel forced, very naive, not genuine. And so we, we deal with these two realities. We celebrate, but we also know how far we have yet to go. Also this week, there's going to be a change of who lives in the White House. Now, I've seen a few of these. You've seen a few of these, maybe. When there's a change, there's a large group of people that are really excited, really happy. Things are finally going to turn around and head in the right direction. And then there's another group of people that think, oh my gosh, everything's headed in the wrong direction. And they're already looking for who to blame and fingers to point. And they're already feeling that anything that happens is going to be bad. And it doesn't matter when the change is, whether it was four years ago or whether it was uh, 12 years ago or whether it's this week, there are groups feeling these things. Now, I used to have a bit of hope. Didn't matter who was coming in there as a change. I know, see the things that are wrong going on in our country and maybe the change would bring some good. That was kind of the feeling. Hey, hey, this might be a good thing. Let's see. But I've learned that, well, it doesn't really change a lot. In fact, it seems like we're more polarized today, not that we've ever been, but probably more than we've been over the last 15, 20 years, we're more polarized today. Is a change at the helm gonna bring that together? Well, I hope so. But if I'm honest, I'm not betting on it, right? Between COVID and between racism and between other forms of oppression that we experience in our church and between the politics that are happening right now. I mean, we've witnessed sparks of hope and really great energy of things happening and they fade. And we've witnessed traumatic events which have shaken and shocked us to our core. And we wonder, should we have seen it? Did we see it coming? Maybe. When we think about all of this reality together, it'd be easy to be overwhelmed. I think it's easy to be numbed. Maybe you're feeling a bit pessimistic. Maybe you're feeling bitter. And as the church, we want to think, well, for everything there is a season. But maybe you're feeling that we're kind of tired of this season, right? When is it going to end? That's our question. And we're kind of hanging in this time of ambiguity. And it's hard when things are uncertain. So let's acknowledge that. Celebrate the things we're celebrating, but also we know there's a lot left to happen that's going to bring us back to a place where we feel like things are good again. Now, this is a reality that you're going to find in our reading, okay? I'm not just telling you 
what's going on and putting all this light on it just to make you go, great, thanks. You know, I, I came to worship to try to receive a, a word of good. You know, I wanted to be refreshed. And now, Joe, you're just reminding me of everything that I'm trying to forget about half the time. In 1 Samuel, it's the same reality that we're dealing with today. The people of Israel have traveled a long way out of the bondage of Egypt. They've come through the wilderness. They've come to the land that was Canaan. And then we have the story of judges where the people didn't follow the lead of God. They didn't want God to be their king, even though God was with them in the tabernacle and traveled with them wherever they went, was always there, always taking care of them. But when they got the land, they wanted to do things their own way. And that's the repetition you hear in the book of Judges. The people did right by their own eyes. They did right by their own eyes. The people did right by their own eyes. There was no king. They did right by their own eyes. But somehow, God wasn't seen as king. Somehow, things kept getting worse and worse and worse and spiraling until we come to this scene in 1 Samuel. And the people have been waiting a long time. They have no leader. They want a leader, not God. But there's a quiet in the land. Now we come into Samuel, and from the opening words, we realize that the tabernacle's there, and there's a priest named Eli, and Eli is taking care of the tabernacle, being a good priest, taking the sacrifices, and taking care of all the things like the ark, and like the menorah, and keeping the space as it is meant to be kept, and honoring God in this way. And in his honoring, one day he notices a woman praying. He thinks something's wrong with her, but then discovers that she is barren and wants a son. And she's praying to God, I'll do anything for a son. And then she receives a son. Samuel is his name. Her name's Hannah. Samuel comes. And in her gratitude, she says, here, Eli, I'm giving you Samuel. He belongs to the Lord. It's a gift from God. I'm giving him to God. He will live and serve in the temple. And so Eli witnesses this miracle and, and, and lives with Samuel and also his sons. And then we hear this great song by Hannah. So there's a miracle that's happened, this great miracle that's happened with Samuel. And it's Hannah's song that becomes Mary's song that we just talked about a few weeks ago as she realizes that everything Gabriel had said about Jesus' birth was true. And she sings this song. It's an echo of Hannah's Song. So there's great hope right here at the beginning of the story in this son, a miracle. But then immediately we hear that Eli's sons, they're priests, they're supposed to be doing everything. They're, they're using their position for their own personal gain. See, they're, they're taking the sacrifice to fill their own belly and to, to satisfy their own greed and ego. And, well, they're doing everything they're not supposed to do. And in fact, in chapter 2, it says they were despicable men. Despicable. And God has had enough of them. And so somebody comes, a messenger comes and delivers a message from God to Eli saying, your sons are terrible and they're going to die. You're going to lose your sons, Eli. In fact, no one in your family line is going to live to be old. It's been so bad that God's done with it. Then there's a word of hope, but God's going to raise up a priest. And so kind of left hanging with this terrible news Eli's sons are going to die. Eli's legacy is going to end. His legacy is going to be of this dishonor that they've done. And so Eli is just serving God with this bad news and seed of hope just hanging. And we don't know how long, how much time passes between that terrible news and what we 
come to read today. But I want you to notice the interesting detail at the beginning of our reading that gives an idea that a long time has passed between the last verse of chapter 2 and the first verse of chapter 3. And notice the mood, the lack of hope. And I think we'll identify with what Eli was probably feeling at the time. And so we come to chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was serving the Lord under Eli. The Lord's word was rare at that time, and visions weren't widely known. One day Eli, whose eyes had grown so weak he was unable to see, was lying down in his room. God's lamp hadn't gone out yet, and Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple, where God's chest was. The Lord called to Samuel. I'm here, he said. Samuel hurried to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go lie down. So he did. Again, the Lord called Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I'm here, you called me? I didn't call my son, Eli replied. Go and lie down. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, and the Lord's word hadn't yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, I'm here. You called me? Then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down where he'd been. Then the Lord came and stood there, calling just as before. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord was rare and visions weren't widely known. Eli must have just teetered on the brink of insanity. I mean, really, and despair. Knowing all he knew about what was getting ready to happen to his family, knowing the history of Israel and how nothing was being done as it should, should have been done, knowing they had rejected God as their true king. What's his future look like? It must have seemed bleak. I mean, this isn't happening the way that he had to have envisioned it happening. His sons had ventured from their meaning and purpose as priests and sought their own, and disaster occurred. I mean, we know that's what happens. We know that's what happens when we venture away from the meaning and purpose of our lives as God defines it and instead seek our own or we seek somebody else's. It doesn't take us in good directions. Even, even if we have some sort of success, we realize that all the things we think we wanted, they actually don't fulfill us or satisfy us or bring us true joy and peace. Eli had received a word from God in the previous scene, and so we don't know how much time had passed between that word and our scene today. And I wonder if Eli thought, can anything good come from this situation, Lord? This has to be a disaster compared to what you expected. It's certainly a disaster for what Eli expected, his sons. This is a disaster. Can anything good come from this? That word of hope, God's going to raise up priest. Well, not from Eli's family. So from who? Samuel, the son of a once barren woman? He's just a boy. Can anything good come from that? 
Can anything good come from all that is the reality of the day? Of course, we know it is going to be through Samuel. And his birth was miraculous. When his mom prayed and received him and then lifted up a great song of celebration that's echoed later by Mary. Eli's hope must have been weak in this moment, and we can identify with this, yes? I mean, how much hope did we have for 2021? How much hope did we have by exiting 2020 and thinking, okay, it's only going to get better, right? And then six days in, six days in, white supremacists attempted insurrection on our nation's capital and what they're saying now is that their intention was to go and capture and assassinate lawmakers this happened six days in to the new year we had so much hope and suddenly we're at a darker place than we've been now we could turn on the tv and find our version of truth and you can almost select it right if you don't like what they're saying change the channel they're going to say something different that channel will say something even opposite from what the first two did and so we're wondering is god going to speak are we going to find truth anywhere because even what happened there we're finding different truths now there are plenty of people speaking on behalf of god right we've had plenty of people in the last months and weeks and days offer predictions stamp god's approval upon it and be wrong Lots of people speaking truth and applying God's name to it. And maybe there are some out there who are speaking it, but there are many who seem to be applying God's name, carrying God's name, taking God's name for their own vanity. So Israel in Eli's day is doing everything by what it judged as good in its own eyes. We're experiencing that today, or maybe we're just wondering, would we even know truth if we saw it the way that everyone wields God's name? I mean, what do we do as disciples in a time like this? What is the church to do? The temptation is real to take the perspective that supports what you already feel, slap God's name to it, and go out and, and talk about it that way. It's real. It's also real to just hunker down and try to stay out of it. There's great ambiguity about this season of our lives, friends. Frankly, we don't know what's going to happen today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what this year might bring. And that's unnerving when we have uncertainty at these kinds of levels. This kind of atmosphere actually brings us into our second reading. Because the people of Israel, in the days of our fourth gospel writer, John, they're going through some of the same stuff. They've been waiting and waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. They've been waiting on a Messiah, and they've had Messiahs come and go, come and claim that they're God's Messiah, and then it didn't work out as the person claimed it would. All the nations around Israel, they're all in struggle. They're dominating each other. Israel is under the boot of empire. And they know, back to the stories in Genesis, that all the nations are all distant relatives. Everyone came from the same family line. And so they're all just a big sibling rivalry. And yet, it doesn't seem that God's great vision of everyone coming together and being one family again is going to happen anytime soon. And through the Messiah, when God, is what they were asking. How? Through what? Through whom? Many people had settled into the darkness of ambiguity and uncertainty. And we're going to meet a disciple who speaks from that point today. 
See, in the Gospel of John, in just the first chapter we're reading from earlier, we heard that the word of God had come to them. In a time where it may have seemed rare, it did come. But it didn't come in the form of smoke in the temple. It didn't come to them through a, a voice from the heavens. It came in flesh and blood in Jesus Christ. And it tabernacled among them, is what John 1 says. It tabernacled in the flesh and blood. Presence of God, access to heaven itself, access to God is there in a person. And by the, the end of the fourth gospel, we're going, to, we're going to see all that acted out and see it all brought to meaning. Jesus, at this point in the first chapter, has not done any signs. He's come onto the scene, he's been baptized, he's called some disciples, and we come to our place today. We don't know exactly what's happening, but the three disciples have responded to the simple invitation to come and see, to follow me. And so we come to verse 34 with an amusing interaction with a disciple being called that's loaded with sarcasm, and we're going to hear the calling of Nathaniel, and I want you to notice how he responds, because we can identify with his pessimism. We can relate to his snarkiness. We can even appreciate his scoffing, and we can certainly understand the prejudice. Because he has a hardened heart, because uncertainty and ambiguity will do that. A life without purpose and meaning or understanding will do that to you. And so this hardened heart, we don't know exactly what had happened in his life other than what we knew what was happening at the time. And so with that in mind on our own experiences, let's come to chapter 1, verse 43. Through 51. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here is a genuine Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are God's son. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up to heaven and down to earth on the human one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We could feel Nathaniel's pain, can't we? I mean, after waiting and waiting and hearing the story growing up of your people and what's going to happen and God's promise and when is it going to be fulfilled, and then you hear of Messiah's coming and, and failing, coming and going, and someone comes up and says, oh, we have actually found the one. Thousands of years, and now we, we finally have the right one. Here he is. You might say, that's just too good to be true. I've heard this story before, right? And especially if it doesn't come from the form you'd expect. I mean, after all, Nazareth, there's nothing significant about Nazareth in any of the scripture stories until we come to Jesus. Up to that point, it's nothing. It's not even mentioned. And so we can understand Nathaniel 
feeling the doubt, saying, really, Nazareth? I mean, is anything good, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I'd love to have been present when Nathaniel met Jesus, and I don't even know why he goes. He obviously is not convinced, but he goes. And let's, let's hang on to that. He heard the invitation from Philip, come and see. The same invitation Jesus had given the disciples, come and see. Philip extends, come and see. Come and see if anything good can come. Something spoke to Nathaniel. He got up and he went. Maybe it was to, I don't know, maybe it was to appease Philip. Maybe it was to patronize him. Maybe he wanted to see the answer of all things for himself. Or maybe there was that, that shred of hope beneath the veneer of pessimism. That despite all the heaviness, the ambiguity and, and uncertainty, he still had that spark that was longing, longing for truth, longing for life. We can identify with that, right? Maybe the circumstances of today have created this veneer of frustration, but underneath it, we still have the hope. We still have the desire to actually encounter the work of God, something true, something joyful, right, just, good. We want these things because we're, we're built to crave these things because it's what we're built to experience. I don't know why Nathaniel went, but he went. And Jesus kind of joins in the fun, right? Ah, here's someone with no deceit. It's kind of an echo from Jacob, whose name meant deceit. But here we have Nathaniel. He'll say what he's thinking. Nathaniel, I saw you. I know that you think nothing good comes from Nazareth. I get it. I saw that. And from that, Nathaniel's like, oh my gosh, he knows, he knows things that no one else should know. Okay, I'm in. You must, you've got to be who they say you are. I don't know what led him to that big jump of faith, but it invited him into a life to learn and see. He, he didn't even know anything yet. Jesus is like, you're, you're impressed by that, really? You're, just wait. Just wait to all the things you're about to see. Now, we all long for this connection. We want it to be part of something real and true, meaning and purpose, something good. That's what we want deep down, and no amount of anything else can satisfy us as much as we try because our culture feeds this pessimism and this greed, this emptiness because our whole culture is built on money, right? I mean, our economy is everything. It determines what's going on. Part of what makes you worthy or not is your credit score, right? I mean, everything's built on this system of economy and money. And it means right now you're watching this and, and maybe right before or after this, you saw an ad, Right? Or you watching TV and you see ads all the time. You drive down the street, there's an ad. You listen to the radio, there's an ad. They're everywhere. You can't scroll Facebook, you can't go anywhere without being told that you don't have enough yet. You haven't, you haven't bought everything you need to buy yet. You're not fit enough. You're not wearing the right clothes. You're not wearing, you're not wearing the most expensive stuff, the right brand. You're not buying the right phone. You're not driving the right car. You're not doing, you're not, you're not good enough yet. You're just like somebody from the backwaters of Nazareth and it'll take money to bring you out of that into something significant. And our greed drives this. Our greed drives this. We want to be first. We want to be greatest. 
We want to be the most powerful. But the truth is, friends, if we had all the money in the world to buy everything we wanted, and we did, we would be facing the same miseries we're facing now. Because it's, it's not money and stuff that fulfills us. We're not built that way. We need meaning and purpose. We need to connect with good and connect with God. As disciples, we know this, but do we know it? Maybe we knew it enough to tune in. Maybe we knew it enough to get baptized, but do we know it enough to build our lives around it, to say no to the other ways, and to pour ourselves into this true way? Samuel was invited into a new life that day in the tabernacle. Didn't even know what he was getting into. He just did what Eli told him to do. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Nathaniel was invited into a life of purpose, and he had no clue what he was actually stepping into. We are invited into the same life and purpose. And it goes beyond our baptism, friends. We are invited to experience the very presence of God at work through the body of Christ, through us, through the church, every day, all the time. Now, the church has its history of shortcomings, failings, divisions, arguments, splits, reunions. We do. And maybe we're wondering, can anything good come from that? Or maybe you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you think, can anything good come through me, really? Because you know your history too. I know mine too. My history has some terrible things in it, honestly. There were days in my younger days when I bought into the lie of racism, of homophobia. I bought into the lie that I was better because of the way I looked or what gender I was or what country I was born in. I bought into that. I thought that gave me meaning and purpose, and I learned pretty quickly it does not. And I'm still unlearning this stuff. The same way the church is still unlearning. Can anything good come through this mess, through me, through you, through the church? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes. Not through us. Certainly not through money. Not through what's right in our own eyes. But through our calling. Because it's through the grace and love of Jesus Christ. That grace and love of God revealed fully in Jesus Christ that we are called into a life of discipleship, of meaning and purpose, to a life of goodness, true goodness. We'll experience true love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Through a life of discipleship, we can rise above the fear we can rise above the despair and we can encounter the very word of God in our lives. It is promised, but this means we must get up. We must get up from our fig trees. We must get up and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And we have to listen. Reading scripture, praying, participating in church. Finding ways to feed your soul, not individually, because it's hard to encounter God in that way, but communally. We don't have to have all the answers. That's why we have the church. We come together with what we have, and somehow it's enough. We don't have to have perfect faith and it all figured out and, and unwavering trust. We don't, we'll get there. 
Just come and see and listen and allow God to work through a life of discipleship. When we dedicate our lives to a life of discipleship, we're going to come to know God. Know God in a way you've never imagined you could have known God. God's known you your whole life. God's known the church its whole life. And still God chooses us. If that isn't a sign of a miracle, I don't know what is, friends. We will come to know the abundance of good that is in us. It's always been in us. We just lost touch with it. We're rediscovering it now. We're going to spend our life rediscovering it, and we're going to be amazed at what kind of goodness can come in and through us because we will learn to distinguish the voice of God within our hearts. We will learn to listen to it, to follow it wherever it takes us, to listen to it and to shut out any other voice. And and we'll live in such a way that people will see that there's miracle happening in our lives. It will bear witness to the life of discipleship and the, the way of God itself that will become what it is we've set out to become as United Methodists. We will be disciple makers and it will transform the world. In this great time of uncertainty and heaviness in this culture of ours that is saturated with oppressive systems, with COVID and with a lot of politics, through discipleship, we're going to rise well above that and we're going to experience the kingdom of God itself. And through us, those around us will experience it as well. So we come back to the question, can anything good come from the work of God in our lives? Oh, friends, <laughs> my sisters and brothers, the ultimate good will come through the body of Christ when we continue to devote ourselves in the way of discipleship. If you don't believe me, come and see. We thank you for worshiping with us, and it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.